Welcome to Witch and Goddess. I'm your host, Patty Black. I'm a witch, a teacher, and priestess. Goddess devotion is an essential part of my craft, and many goddesses are my cohorts in magic. Each episode, we explore a different goddess, her lore, and how to connect with her energetically and magically. Welcome back, beautiful listeners. I adore you, especially those of you who rate, review, and follow. Now, last time, I promised you an episode about some of the many goddesses who deal with grief. So with this topic comes a content warning. This episode deals with grief and loss due to many situations, including death. That said, if you are able to listen to this episode, I think you'll find it fortifying. Many of our goddesses have trauma and loss woven into their stories. Few of them are strangers to grief, so... If you have an established relationship with a deity, your first stop when looking for comfort or a guide during these times should be the goddess who knows you. On that note, lots of goddesses are considered grief goddesses, but their legends align with and deal with loss in different ways, and we will explore just a few examples in this episode. Of course, we give grief and death and the loss of pets, friends, partners and family members, but grief occurs for more reasons than the end of physical life. All phases of life involve endings, and all endings can result in grief, even if that ending leads to a better situation. The culmination of a relationship, romantic or not, for whatever reason, moving to a different home, leaving a job or career, children leaving home, a diagnosis, life transitions, realizing we are unable to achieve a goal or a dream, a change in our faith or beliefs. These are just a few of the situations that you may have grieved. And you might ask yourself, did I shy away from this episode because of the title? Did I leave this one unplayed for a while because of the topic? If so, I can relate. I find myself much more cautious about the content I consume and when. When these topics come up, I've started checking in with myself, sort of pressing gently on my wounds, measuring the level of pain. I ask myself, can I bear this today? Or am I too tender, too raw? And also, isn't there an element of fear, almost superstition, to look at the idea of grief too closely, to say the word, might invoke its presence? Could it invite grief into our lives? I believe the grief is actually already with us. It's the most natural part of life, endings, and feeling them. But we paint over it, we push it down, shove it in the back of the closet, and we never do ourselves the honor of naming it. The friendships that end in childhood, the loss of pets, leaving our childhood home. We've all experienced loss and endings, and the longer we live, the more we encounter And the more losses we experience without processing or honoring that loss, the more that weight builds and drags us down. Work with goddesses and witchcraft in general offer wonderful ways to honor those experiences and emotions. Through ritual, spells, guidance from spirit, we can be held and supported in sacred transitions. I believe witches are able to hold a more balanced relationship with death and endings. Some of us are even called to it. 
Those outside our traditions may think that we're preoccupied with darkness. They call us morbid. But I think we are simply more perceptive of this other part of human experience. Everything growing beneath our feet is fed by death. And the dark, deep earth that so many fear is the resting place of countless generations of humans, creatures, and plants. But it's also the fertile birthing ground of everything good and beautiful. We may practice ancestral veneration, we observe natural cycles, we honor the sacred transitions of life, and spend long hours just waiting in the liminal. Witches are just less likely to shy away from death. Joey Morris of Starry-Eyed Supplies describes it really beautifully here. Being a witch is witnessing all the little moments of death. Sometimes it's the end of flowers as they wilt in the sun, or a mouse at the end of a cat's fangs. Sometimes it's part of who we used to be, dropping like death seeds into the dirt, so the grown versions of us can be born. Sometimes it's watching empires crumble. All those little deaths bear flowers. So let's explore the lessons of different goddesses that can help us in our varying experiences of death and grief. In ancient Greek religion and mythology, Demeter is the Olympian goddess of the harvest and agriculture. She is responsible for crops, grain, food, and the overall fertility of the earth. She's less recognized as a goddess of health, birth, marriage, and the underworld. Demeter is well known as the devoted mother of Persephone, another fertility goddess. The Homeric hymn to Demeter tells of Persephone's abduction by Hades and Demeter's subsequent grief and quest to be reunited. Hades, the king of the underworld, wished to make Persephone his wife, and so, with Zeus's permission, he abducted her from a field where she was picking flowers. Demeter searched everywhere for her beloved daughter, with no luck. This is from the Homeric hymn to Demeter. Thereafter, for nine days did the Lady Demeter wander all over the earth, holding torches ablaze in her hands. Not once did she take of ambrosia and nectar, sweet to drink, in her grief, nor did she bathe her skin in water. So, when she learned that Hades had taken her daughter to the underworld, Demeter abandoned her duties as goddess of agriculture, which sent the earth into a deadly famine where nothing would grow, causing the mortals to die. Demeter's grief continued as she went into hiding as a nursemaid for a human child. This passage is from later on in the hymn. On this stool Demeter sat down, holding with her hands a veil before her face. For a long time she sat on the stool without uttering a sound in her sadness. And she made no approach, either by word or by gesture, to anyone. Unsmiling, not partaking of food or drink, she sat there, wasting away with yearning for her daughter. And later in the hymn, she was wasting away with yearning for her daughter with the low-slung girdle. She made that year the most terrible one for mortals, all over the earth, the nurturer of many. It was so terrible it makes you think of the Hound of Hades. The earth did not send up any seed. Demeter, she with the beautiful garlands in her hair, kept the seeds covered underground. Many a curved plow was dragged along the fields by many an ox all in vain. 
many a bright grain of wheat fell into the earth, all for naught. At this moment, Demeter could have destroyed the entire race of humans and harsh hunger, thus depriving the dwellers of the Olympian abodes sacrificial portions of meat for eating or for burning. The gods realized that they would lose their offerings from humans, and so Zeus ordered Hades to return Persephone to her mother to avoid this disaster, but Persephone had been persuaded to eat a few pomegranate seeds before leaving the underworld, so that she would have to return and spend a third of every year in the underworld. And this, of course, explains the seasonal cycle, because Demeter withdraws her fertility and does not let plants grow while Persephone is gone. I love that Demeter's grief is acknowledged. It's not dismissed. It's not downplayed. Nor does there seem to be any hint that she's overreacting or being a hysterical woman. Of course, she's a powerful goddess, so perhaps they wouldn't dare. But Demeter's grief is valid and central to the story, almost a character itself. Her sadness is given a lot of space in this story, which seems so hard to do in real life. To grieve is natural and necessary, but it can be so uncomfortable to sit in that space with someone, even to sit with our own feelings of loss, the pain, the urge to distract ourselves or the grieving person, to hurry the process, to get over it. But that's the opposite of what's necessary. Demeter surrenders to the emotional process. Even in her divinity and power, she allows it to wash over her. She's still performing divine and magical works by nursing the human child and performing rites to give him immortality. She reveals her radiant immortality to the child's mother, all in the midst of her grief. She also allows herself times of no action, no words. But she retains her power and divine nature. She is no less a goddess for her grief. And strong as she is, she doesn't need to prove anything. She doesn't deny or minimize her feelings. Demeter's story shows that grief can actually make us stronger. Not in a through trials and tribulations sort of way, but that in the act of submitting to those emotions, we are stronger in our wholeness. The story of the abduction of Persephone is at the heart of the Eleusinian Mysteries, a mystic tradition that predated the Olympian pantheon, and which may even have its roots in the Mycenaean period, around 1400 BC. The Eleusinian Mysteries were initiations held every year for the cult of Demeter and Persephone. They are the most famous of the secret rites of ancient Greece. And the Mysteries were a ritual reenactment of the myth of the abduction of Persephone from Demeter. It's believed to have been performed in a cycle with three phases. The first, the descent, which is the loss, then the search, and finally, the ascent. The main theme was Persephone's ascent and joyous reunion with her mother. The rites honor Demeter as the mother goddess, goddess who nourishes life, and Persephone as the daughter who receives the souls of the dead for a period in the underworld, preparing for rebirth. It was a major festival during the Hellenic era and later spread to Rome. The specific rites were tightly guarded secrets, but modern scholars have pieced together that people of all ranks may have come from far and wide to be initiated into the mysteries. 
It's possible that experiencing the mysteries left initiates with an awe-inspiring and ultimately reassuring understanding of the inevitability of death. The rebirth of Persephone symbolized the eternal and cyclical nature of life, which transitions from one form to another, never-ending. Demeter's story has striking similarities with that of the goddess Isis, who plays a crucial role in the sacred funeral rites of ancient Egypt. Unlike ancient Egypt, death in many modern cultures is kept very separate from the majority of people. Our elderly and terminally ill loved ones die in nursing homes and hospice, rarely in their own homes. They are surrounded by medical professionals and a few close loved ones at best. And once they've passed, they are whisked away to mortuaries where more clinical and practice professionals handle their bodies and prepare them for burial or cremation. Many family members and loved ones never see the body. We know that in times past, in many cultures, the family naturally handled all preparation of the bodies of the deceased. The sewing of shrouds, bathing, and special preparations of the body, people knew the rituals and expectations, and performing these tasks was an important and final way of honoring the deceased. I can't say for sure, but I imagine there was far less squeamishness about bodies in situations like these. Now, when my beloved grandmother passed 13 years ago, I was still working as a cosmetology teacher, and I had the opportunity to do her hair for the funeral. I was squeamish about it. I had never wanted to do something like that, but I had done grandma's hair for decades, and I knew exactly how she liked it. Initially, I agreed to do it because I would have felt guilty letting someone else do it and do a half-assed job. And I wanted to be able to do one last thing for her. Those first few minutes in the cold room in the mortuary were tense, but once I relaxed into the work, it was peaceful. And I left feeling so much peace about her passing and our relationship. Having an intimate part in sending her off, rather than just being a bystander or witnessing it all from a pew in the church, was so much more healing. I remain grateful for that experience. In one of her most well-known stories, Isis mourns the loss of her husband and brother Osiris. She goes to great lengths to find his body twice, even reassembling his dismembered parts a second time. It's a combination of her great magic and her undying love and devotion that allow her to resurrect Osiris and conceive their son Horus before Osiris must go to rule the realm of the dead. The idea of resurrection and some kind of life after death was incredibly important to the ancient Egyptians. The funeral rites to preserve bodies for this afterlife journey were a priority. Isis and the story of her devoted handling of her husband's body were central to these sacred death rites. By rejoining Osiris's limbs, Isis is able to somewhat remedy his death. And through her spoken words, he receives his new status as ruler in the realm of the dead. So Isis promises life after death, or rebirth. Death in ancient Egypt, therefore, was not considered something that could happen in isolation. It required attention and care from others, from loved ones, so that the body could die successfully and experience a life beyond. 
after all of this talk of grief and death, I want to leave you with the most comforting goddess I know. I have been known to refer to Kuan Yin, the Chinese goddess of compassion, as a good starter goddess, and I need you to know that when I say that, I have no desire to be dismissive of her. She is powerful indeed. But she is known as the goddess who answers all calls, and she just happens to be the first goddess I experienced in a physical way, and you can hear all about that experience in my very first episode. One of my favorite versions of her story says that she was shaped as a woman, a goddess, for bringing compassion and mercy into the world. She was given a thousand arms and eyes in the palms of each of her hands so that she would always see the people's distress and be able to reach out to encircle them. Then they sent her back to earth to do her work. And so successful was she at comforting the people that word of her began to spread to other lands and even other religions. We need her here, the people cried. And so she went reincarnating herself wherever she was needed. Known by many names and stories in many, many places, she was revered as a Buddhist deity and then a Taoist one. She's known as the goddess of compassion and for protecting women and children, and she's often equated to Mother Mary. Their energies are very similar, I think because of that feminine love that she radiates. In fact, her love for humanity is so great that she chose to remain in human form rather than ascend to Buddhahood, until all humans achieve enlightenment. Kuan Yin is truly compassion and mercy. Her name means she who hears prayers. It's said, and I can confirm for myself, that she responds to every prayer addressed to her. So even though I don't normally recommend asking for favors from deities you haven't built a relationship with, if you find yourself in the depths of heartbreak, physical or emotional pain, and yes, grief, you can call on Kuan Yin. Ask for her relief. Ask for her hands of compassion to soothe you and bring you comfort. I find her image incredibly soothing as well, so take a moment to research that, and when you call on her, bring that peaceful vision to mind. Big thanks to my subscribers who receive exclusive meditations and rituals for just $4.99 a month. You give me life. You can support more episodes of Witch and Goddess by signing up as a subscriber. Find the link to subscribe on the Witch and Goddess profile page on Spotify for Podcasters or on my link tree on Instagram at Witch and Goddess Pod. I will be forever grateful. You can email me at witchandgoddesspod at gmail.com or connect with me on Instagram at witchandgoddesspod. Let me know which goddesses you work with or would like to learn about. You can learn about all of the ways to work with me by visiting blackbirdmagic.com. That's magic with a CK. There are a variety of courses and groups, mentorship sessions, custom spell work, and a link to join my free witchcraft group. Thanks for listening. Sources for this episode include Mysteries of the Dark Moon by Demetra George, Isis, the Eternal Goddess of Egypt and Rome by Leslie Jackson, I Am Isis, The Role of Speech in the Cult of Isis by Martin Bamas. <laughs>